0: Good to see everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Um, hey, listen, yeah, if you have not met Alan, you, you need to spend some time with Alan afterwards with the, the donuts and the coffee, and um, it'll be great. So you, you're just going to love spending time with him and getting to know him, and there's so much great stuff happening down there. He only had a few minutes to share, so um, make sure you check out the website and all that good stuff. Listen, if you have a Bible, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And um, some of you guys know that we are um, making our way in chunks through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And it has been um, like seasoned. Like, like during this year, we've just been concentrating on different parts, different pieces. And now we're getting to the part that everybody knows because uh, you've probably been to a wedding, You've probably been to a wedding, and you've probably heard the uh, poem uh, of sorts that Paul is about to communicate. And so I'm going to read it, and then we're going to talk about it, and uh, really kind of get at what Paul's really talking about, because it's not marriage. I mean, it is, but it's not. Okay, here we go. He says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Paul says, if I I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. What Paul is doing is something really interesting because if you read that, if you just parachute into that passage and you don't know what's happening before and you don't know what's happening after, you could get confused. I mean, it's really beautiful, right? But Paul is using this as an opportunity to confront the Corinthians. Because in chapter 12, we talked about, last week, Randy talked about the body, um, about what it looks like to gather and to be in community together as the body. And we talked about the gifts that the Spirit, uh, momentary gifts that the Spirit gives us, and how those are supposed to benefit each other, not ourselves. And so what Paul is doing here is he's actually saying, listen, Love is the big key to all of this. Love is like the linchpin. Love is the, the foundation of all of this. And if you don't have it, everything you're doing is a waste of time. Now, when we look at the life of Jesus, what we see is that it, through Jesus' teaching and through his life, Jesus exuded love. He exuded love towards people that were on the margins. He exuded love towards people who were looked over. And, and what he did is he also pushed and he said, listen, uh, you need to learn how to love. And so in, in the, what we call, um, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually lays out this unbelievable idea of enemy love. I mean, this love that like, as he, the, the Galilean people, and, and he's saying, you need to love your enemies. Well, your enemies we're unlovable. And it was like one of the hardest bits of teaching that people received from Jesus. And so Jesus talked about love, he talked about loving enemies, he talked about an ultimate the ultimate picture of love is when someone lays down their life for others. But there's this there's this peace, there's this meal that Jesus has with his closest his closest disciples, and it's right before he actually lays down his life. Um, He's sitting with them, Passover meal, um, they are around a table, and as he's telling them everything that's going to happen to him, he says in John chapter 13, verse 34, he says this, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And he's talking about a new law here. Actually, Jesus says, this is a new command I give to you. You know what all the other commands are, right? Love the Lord God with all your heart. You know, he's talking about the 10 commandments, but he's like, this is a new command to love one another. And when we hear that, we think, oh, that feels good, right? I mean, who doesn't think, man, love one another? Yeah, we should love one another. It's just like it's, it's kind of a, a feeling, kind of a, maybe an emotional response you get when you hear that, um, and you hear people say in like this day and age of our, our world, wouldn't it be better if we just loved people more? You know, Mr. Rogers style, and nothing wrong with Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers is a stud, but like like it's just like, wow, that would be great, right? If everybody was Mr. Rogers. But Jesus says, as I have loved you. Jesus actually sets the bar pretty high. This is why Corinth was in trouble. This is why we could be in trouble. Because the bar is Jesus. The bar is Jesus' love for us, right? And and then he says, by this, he's actually by doing this, everyone's going to know, okay, what I'm like, what God is like, what our mission is in this world. Everyone will know that you are my disciples. And here's here's what's interesting. This love, this definition of love lived out. Everyone will know if you apprentice Jesus and you love. People will know that you apprentice Jesus. They're not going to know that by a bumper sticker. They're not going to know that by a clever T-shirt or your political affiliation or your your new signs and lights. They're not going to know that. And so this verse should really kind of unsettle us a bit, because here's the reality. any of us have really seen true love. I mean, we really haven't. And we have cheap substitutes, like sex and, and some sort of tolerance, you know, in our society, and promises. and It's like this. The first week, I had a friend of mine Uh, named Eric Miller, and he invited me to do something called CrossFit. You've heard of CrossFit? You can tell, you know that joke, you can tell someone does CrossFit because they talk about doing CrossFit, right? So the first time I did CrossFit, I show up at this warehouse, gym thing, they call it a box And I walk in and they say, okay, this is what we're going to do today. You do this many of this, this many of this, this many of this. And you do it as many times as you can in a certain amount of time, as many rounds as possible. And they have an acronym for that called AMRAP. So I'm at this gym. I'm like, okay, I got to do all this stuff as many times as I can. One of the things they're doing is something I can't do. It was called a muscle up. And I'm watching these guys, yeah, I'm watching these guys do a muscle-up. And so what a muscle-up is, is think about doing a a pull-up, right? Just a regular pull-up, but then that's not enough. And you swing your whole body as far as you can, and you flip up, and then you're on the bar like this. And then you keep doing it. And, and so I can't do that. And so they're like, well, hey. And at the time, I couldn't do a pull-up. And so they're like, okay, well, then you start, like, by doing this. And they gave me this box. And I stood on the box. And then the bar is, like, here. And they're like, just jump and pull yourself up. And I'm like, I feel like an idiot, right? All these guys are, like, flipping around and doing all this, like, gymnastics stuff. And, and so at the end of the day, and so, and then this workout was so hard, okay, I've told this story a couple of times. It's super embarrassing. I'm driving home, and I'm, like, woozy. And I had to pull over and take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I called Eric the next day. Well, he called me the next day. He's like, how you feeling? And I'm like, dude, that sucked. That was horrible. I couldn't even do half the stuff, and I had to take a nap. And he's like, well, you gotta keep coming. I'm like, what do you mean I gotta keep coming? So I start going, right? Here's the thing at the end of the week, I literally could say the words, I did CrossFit. I could say that, like, and not lie. But my version of CrossFit and then those guys flipping around on the bars was totally different. They said the same thing at the end of the week yeah, I do CrossFit. I said at the end of the week, yeah, I do CrossFit. The definitions were totally different, right? Mine included a nap and a box and all this help, right? This is what we're talking about when we're talking about love. Like when we talk about love, we love things like tacos and fishing, right? And Netflix and whatever. But when Jesus is talking about love, what is the bar? The bar is as I have loved you. And if the bar is as I have loved you, that bar includes like laying down your life kind of love. That bar includes enemy love. That bar includes a whole range of love that you and I look at and go, oh, there's no way. There's no way I could do that. There's no way I could do a pull up. I'm certainly not gonna do whatever that thing was. But when we look at love, we have this, we get tied up. And and so true love is like like a different planet. This love that Jesus is talking about is a different planet. And it kind of requires from us some definition and some substance for it to be made meaningful. Because when Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must uh, love one another. This, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says, if you love each other, you will show the world what I am like. He says, if you love one another, you'll show the world what I've come to do. And if you love each other, you'll show the world who I am. See, here's the thing. If you follow Jesus, if you apprentice Jesus... You can't get out of this. You can't get out of the workout. If you show up at CrossFit gym that day, that's your workout. That's what you do. You can't get out of it. You follow Jesus. You apprentice Jesus. You can't get out of love. You, You can't get out of it by volunteering at church somewhere. You can't get out of it by giving money. You can't get out of it by dressing nice. You can't get out of it by going on a missions trip to Nicaragua. You can't get out of it. And so this is what's at stake here for the Corinthians. Because the Corinthians, they misused their calling. They've misused it. And now here's the deal. This is totally applicable to marriage, this passage. But this is about being a part of a community of Jesus followers. And Corinth twisted it. See, they were a church that They had these like church-gone-wild communion parties. They were jacked up. They were showing off to each other. They were fractioning off. They were uh, priding themselves on allowing maybe like an anything-goes culture, right? And then they had this guy in their church that it was just out of bounds uh, with some of his sexual sin. And they were like, "Eh, that's no big deal. Everything goes. And Paul's like, what are you doing? And one of the things that kept me up last night was um, I was thinking about today and this, this kind of new season for us as a church. And, um, and I was thinking, man, I love, I love this church. And this is going to sound really weird when I'm about to say, but you might think this is weird. but I would actually attend this church if I wasn't its pastor. And you're like, that is the weirdest thing I ever heard. You have no idea how many pastors I talked to that would admit, I probably wouldn't go here. (laughs) If I wasn't the pastor, I probably wouldn't go here. It's pretty messed up. (laughs) But um, here's the thing. I was thinking about our church. I was thinking about our gatherings on Sundays and how we're just really leaning in and working hard to see the spirit leading us and drawing us closer to Jesus as a community. And And so the transformation that's happening in this place and stories coming out of faith walking and and encouragement and growth in smaller communities around this place and and the meeting of the needs we're a part of in in the community like whiz kids and growing home and we're tapping into some areas with Arvada High School. And, and there's just, there's a lot happening there. And then what we're a part of abroad, like with Sunika and, and the school with, that we sponsor in Kenya. And there's just things that we're a part of. And I'm really proud of us. And, and, and now we have new signs and some lights and some more space for kids and, and a, a new website. And, and all this stuff's great. And you, you know what Paul says? Big deal if you don't have love. Big deal. It's like, it's like Terminator 2. <laughs> Do you remember the cop in Terminator 2 that could just, like, he was metal? Remember that guy? And it, the scariest part about Terminator 2, because I watched it when I was much younger, was the fact that the, the cop could fool people into thinking that he was safe, that he was there to protect and serve, right? But then he would, like, kill them. If you haven't seen it before, sorry, spoiled it for you. But the idea behind it is like the Corinthians, they're dressed up in all this spiritual, special, you know, stuff they're doing, but they're like abusing each other with it. They're hurting each other with it. Um, and, And here's the thing. Church people have done this for thousands of years. The Corinthians aren't the only one. Like we could read this and go, man, they're jacked up. But we do this stuff. We, we, we push each other. We, we kind of condemn each other. We, we, we kind of, we have jealousy towards each other. And, and here's the thing. I hear all the time with people in my life, and, and this has happened to me too. People tell me, the church hurt me. And here's what I'm here to tell you. The church didn't hurt you. People hurt you. People who went to church hurt you. People who led churches hurt you. Okay? And that and that's what Paul's getting at here. It's like, who cares if you've got the ability to teach and speak and lead and and sing and all this stuff? If you don't love each other, it's a waste of time. He says, I will show you the most excellent way. He's like, I'm gonna show you a whole new level. He says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do do not have love. I am just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, you know, you might have the best words and you might be totally eloquent like the sophists and and you might be able to speak in tongues and they loved that stuff. And Paul said, if there's no genuine love there, you're just making noise with your mouth. (laughs) You're just making noise. And I gotta admit, I think there's a lot of church noise church noise, meaning I I think our community and our culture, they just think the church is a bunch of noise, that there's no love. And it's really sad. Paul says, without love, we say nothing. We're actually saying nothing without love. Next thing he says is, I have a If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Here he mentions three forms of what church people call or or theologians call charismata, which is these momentary abilities uh, of of prophecy into people's lives and and just kind of wisdom and knowledge and this idea of like a deeper level of faith and, and Paul says, I could have all these, right? I could have all these abilities. Remember, I joked around the other day about just, you know, using these abilities. Like He's like, I could have all these abilities. And without love, I am nothing. So without love, we are nothing. And then to drive it further, because Paul uses things in threes, he says, if I give all I possess to Pour, and give over my body to hardship, meaning martyrdom or death, that I may boast, but I have not love, I gain nothing. This is a really tricky one because it's like, it sounds like he gives everything away. Well, of course he has nothing, right? <laughs> like, of course. But the idea here is this self-sacrificial act of giving, giving away, giving up your life. And you can do all that stuff, but if you don't love people, You can actually stand before God, and it could mean nothing. That's what Paul's getting at. Without love, we say nothing. Without love, we are nothing. Without love, we gain nothing. And Paul's just driving this in. And so if you're giving your life away, I mean, this is an interesting thing. Like, like hard, We have a hard time giving our lives away as it is. Because you imagine if you just gave a little bit of your time away and a little bit of your money away, and you still didn't love? Like Paul's saying, like even if I gave everything away, Paul is arguing for love. And what's interesting here is we've had this conversation about the Spirit, and how the Spirit is, is a gift to us, And because of the spirit being in us and on us and wanting to work through us, what we can can do and encouraging each other and loving each other and building each other up and equipping each other and all these things, um, you've been given the same spirit that Jesus has. And you've been given the spirit to show the world what Jesus is like, to push the story of Jesus forward. And Paul tells the Corinthians, but you're using it for yourself. You're using it for your own ego. I love how um, the kingdom New Testament writes this passage that comes next. Love is great-hearted. Love is kind. Knows no jealousy, makes no fuss. Not puffed up no shameless ways, doesn't force its rightful claim, doesn't rage rage or bear a grudge, doesn't cheer at others' harm, rejoices rather in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, love hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. So the context isn't marriage on its own, although this could really help. <laughs> it is in a community of people following Jesus. And these words are concrete expressions. They're like beautiful pictures. They're not emotions and feelings. It, it's like a way of life for the follower of Jesus. There's two different parts to it it's an active and a passive love. An active love and a passive love. A passive love. Actually, the King James Version of this is the best. I never say that. But it says, (laughs) Love suffereth long. Love suffereth long. That is a passive love. That is the kind of love that just patiently loves people. People that bug you, people that get on your nerves people that keep stepping all over you, love suffereth long. The other one is an active love. And this love is the, the, the kind of love that actively pursues people in kindness, opportunities of kindness. And th- the thing is, is that this is the picture we get, a God who loves us even when we don't love back. A God who, a Savior who pursues us even when we run away. And and Christ who who offers fellowship to everybody indiscriminately, without condition, no strings attached. That's the kind of love that's being modeled for us. It's like this otherworldly kind of love. It's kingdom love. And it says something about the future in terms of our present. And we're going to get into this a lot next week. But you need to hear this. Love is not your duty as a follower of Jesus. It's your destiny as a follower of Jesus. Meaning, we're not talking about behavioral modification. I don't need you to stand in front of the mirror and go, I just need to love them better. (laughs) What we're saying is, what Paul is saying is, the who you are going to be one day, when everything is, is wrapped up, when we are, when we are heaven, is made, uh, heaven comes crashing into earth and, and we are in resurrected bodies and, and there is no more death and no more sin, the language will be love. Meaning, and we'll talk about this next week, no more tongues, no more wisdom, no more knowledge, no more need for any of that stuff. But love will remain. And so the the point of this passage isn't, you guys need to love more. Because that's just kind of like duty-bound stuff. No, the point of this passage is, you will one day be all consumed with love. And that everything you speak and do will be loving. So live that way now. Live the future version of yourself now. And it takes this practice. It takes takes, um, uh, changing of so many things in our lives. Love is the language that we're going to speak in the new eternity. And and since we can't get out of this, it feels totally unnatural now. It doesn't feel natural to love our enemies. It doesn't feel natural to love our neighbors. It doesn't feel natural to not respond in, in vengeance. It doesn't feel natural. And that's why we practice. Listen to this. When you are a Christ following, when you are in a Christ following community such as this, and you are jealous of somebody else, you're not acting in love. When you're in a Christ following community and you are boasting of how accomplished and privileged you are, you are not acting in love. If you're in a Christ-following community and you are only participating in the things that you like and the things that are the way you want them to be, you're not acting in love. If you're a part of a Christian community and you're always grumpy and negative and always playing the devil's advocate, you're not acting in love. If you're a part of a Christ-following community and you're keeping a tally and you're always believing the worst intentions of other people, you're not acting in love. And if you're in a Christ-following community and you're secretly excited when somebody else fails, you're not acting in love. You're not showing what God is like to the world. And so when Paul lays out, this is what love is, he also lays out what this is, this is what love isn't. And those list of things that Paul was giving were directed straight towards the Corinthians. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not proud. Those are the things you're doing, so you're not loving. And what's interesting is if we actually reread this passage, and instead of the word love, we put Jesus there. I mean, listen to this. No one could disagree with this. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. He is not proud. He, is, he does not dishonor others. He is not self seeking. And he's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. And one of the phrases we use around here a lot is that we're on a journey to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And so if you follow Jesus, and you apprentice Jesus, and you have that same spirit that Jesus had, and, and, and you are supposed to be pushing the story of Jesus forward, one day, one day, We will substitute our own names in here, right? One day you'll be able to say, I am patient. I am kind. I do not envy. I do not boast. Hear me, and I'm not talking about behavioral modification here. I'm not not doing that. Jesus did not come to take on flesh, live a sinless life like a servant, and die on a cross that you and I would pray a prayer go to church and settle for like a religious life It's not like Jesus came he has bigger hopes and dreams for you and me than that and the role of the spirit on you and in you and through you is to push the story of Jesus forward in the world listen I'd rather be a small little church with big love than a big church with no love I mean, that's that's really what we want to be. And we practice that here with each other. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to just allow God to work in us um, as as we close out.